Welcome to the uh, Lighthouse podcast. I'm Duncan Chappell, uh, Principal at Lighthouse Analyst Relations. I'm here with Pete Chatziplis uh, from the Transatlantic uh, Business Forum. Uh, Pete, thanks so much for joining us here today. Oh, thank you very much, Duncan. So, uh, so Pete, just to put things into perspective for, for listeners, you're the founder of the Transatlantic Business Forum, and you're really one of the most experienced uh, M&A advisors uh, I've come across. Um, I, mean, I know a lot about your background. Uh, just to give a bit of disclosure, you and I were at the University of Manchester together about 20 years ago when you were finishing off uh, your, your, your MBA. And uh, then 10 years ago, we were both working uh, for Deloitte & Touche. Um, over the last uh, dozen years in particular, I think you've really become one of the most experienced M&A advisors uh, that, that I know about, especially looking at this whole issue of cross-border M&A. Um, now, one of the impressions that I get is that there's been a big decline in M&A maybe over the last three or four years, and then a big regrowth over the, over the last year. Can you say something about you know what the market outlook is generally for, 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 for cross-border M&A? Oh, sure. Well, of course, there was a decline in the last uh, couple of years uh, following the financial crisis. Uh, uh, there has been an increase the last uh, year when people just uh, uh, come across a lot of M&As. There are a lot of M&As taking place, but uh, still the activity is uh, 35% uh, uh, below what it was in 2007, 2008. Uh, but of course, uh, back at this time, uh, the, the activity was ma mainly um, uh, the 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 activity was mainly uh, um, happening because of uh, the leverage that existed and uh, a lot of uh, private equity deals and leverage buyouts and those were pretty much big deals. Uh, so this thing has gone away and now it's coming back because um, mainly because the companies have made a lot of money. The the corporate earnings are at uh, 60, uh, 60 years high because of the companies uh, trimming down overhead and everything. And now they have a lot of money. They they go. Uh, they they have to uh, to to proceed with acquisitions to use their money or give it back as uh, as dividends. Uh, so they're doing a lot of acquisitions. There's been an increase in, in the last years of something like twenty percent. And um, we are going to be probably experiencing uh, uh, further growth in the future. And. Um, I believe that um, depending on how uh, developments will 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 take place in the large part of the market, which is uh, um, mainly defined by leverage buyouts, uh, I believe that there will also be a great activity, and there is also great activity in the middle uh, market, uh, where companies are uh, will be um, mainly trying to find ways to to grow uh, through cross border. Uh, transactions, as it's uh, probably easier to uh, to uh, find ways to um, to, uh, to, to enter new markets and um, leverage on what you're doing well in uh, your particular segment in another country, rather than trying to grow out of uh, your segment. If uh, I can make, if I make myself uh, uh, clear in uh, in this uh, strategy. Yes, I think there's one really clear example of this, which which lots of the uh, the visitors to this website will have come across, which was the purchase by Forrester Research of Springboard Research. So Forrester, a really American company that basically doesn't exist 
in any meaningful way in Asia Pacific. I mean, maybe it's got two and a half people in the in the region. R recently, buying one of the biggest uh, Asia Pacific uh, analyst firms, a and as you say, you know, it, it's it's a it's one of these relatively small purchases. You know that there there really aren't you know big expensive assets available to be bought in Asia Pacific or, or or in other emerging markets, and yet that's where people are buying strategically, in mm. order to expand their their reach. Is that the general trend that that we're seeing? Yes, that's um, yes, that's sure it is, and uh, you're actually uh, touching upon another issue of the 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 emergence of uh, the growth in the emerging markets. There's been a lot of activity there, especially uh, outgoing activity from uh, from the U.S. and Europe in uh, emerging markets, Asia in particular. There's no doubt that these are uh, these markets are growing and will become very dominant in the future. China, for sure. Uh, so there are a lot of acquisitions there, and 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 companies here in the U.S. they feel the the need. Uh, to 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 go out and do uh, um, some acquisitions there and in uh, and by the way just to to, to highlight there's uh, there's an increase in M&As uh, in the past those uh, markets uh, they represented uh, no more than 10, 20% of global M&As now they are up to 35 they're growing at the very uh, at very uh, high growth rate, rates and they will keep on growing. And the other thing about these markets is that the companies are smaller. So yes, you you buy smaller, um, the deals are smaller, and you buy smaller companies there. But um, this will uh, change, of course, in the future. Uh, but um, sure, that's the way it is. And 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 companies they need to uh, to grow their network these days because we are living in a more globalized world. And and I wonder, as well as the buyers getting smaller, well, as well as the the bought companies getting smaller, are the buying companies getting smaller? I, mean, I, I was looking at an article on your uh, on the transatlanticbusinessforum.com blog, and there's a fascinating thing that you that you mention, which is a study by KPMG where they surveyed some mid-sized Colorado companies. So, I mean, I, I've never been to Colorado, but I, I don't <laughs> think of it as the as the part of the United. United States that's most export-minded, saying that something like four out of ten of even mid-sized Colorado companies see global expansion as being a key part of their growth strategy. So I wonder, are you seeing maybe smaller companies than we might have seen previously getting more in the mood for cross-border acquisition? Oh yes, absolutely. And uh, you know, we probably um, we're you're probably thinking of it from uh, from the from the perspective of uh, of uh, getting of, of selling into foreign markets, but it's not only that. It's also about produ production. Uh, there's a lot of outsourcing these days in in, in terms of production. So the, the companies here in the U.S. or in Europe, uh, they are most of them. A lot of them are, are are producing in China. So they are in a way they they are already global in a way and so they can make it an acquisition in order to um, to integrate vertically either um, acquiring production uh, capabilities uh, or or uh, or um, going down and 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 uh, acquiring markets if they they want to um, to export or or um, sell uh, through their local uh, subsidiaries uh, overseas, so they are. It's for sure that they be, they becoming um, global, and uh, very interesting. Very interestingly, actually, um, lately the a lot of uh, earnings uh, releases from uh, from uh, even large companies. From large large companies, actually, they they have been uh, very very um, good 
because uh, of this expansion that they have, uh, um, the, the, the growth that they have been experiencing overseas. And actually, this has uh, caught the analysts by surprise. They were not really... Uh, not all of them able to to the investment banks, the analysts working there haven't been able to to capture all this uh, growth that is happening overseas. I think Intel was a recent example um, in this uh, sense, and that's another reason why um, research firms and analysts have to become global because they have to be able to capture this um, this uh, activity overseas that is really booming right now. Yeah, I think one of the points that you've often made is about um, big, big fishes in small ponds. You know that that very often you might have, um, say, a North American company which is a real niche leader and has maybe struggled to find ways to grow. And you know it can either you know stop being a niche player and try to you know cross sell to generalize its broad its business model. Or it can try to find a more co- more compelling partner firms to work with and eventually to acquire as a way of extending internationally. And then I also wonder a little bit about profitability and what M&A is doing to the profitability of, uh, of firms. You know, that maybe previously M&A had to be quite a long-term purchase for it to produce results for companies and I wonder what are you seeing as the as the as the as the economic situation is now improving are you seeing any particular trends in the way that M&A is impacting profitability of firms yes I believe that it, it can um, I think it can affect profitability even in the short uh, in the short term for sure they can add um, revenue and um, and they can add um, on the bottom line as well. Another thing is that right now with the the, the dollar uh, being in a long term, uh, uh, being flat on the long term or even declining uh, because of the uh, issues here with the economy, there's, there's well, I don't want to get into FX uh, analysis, but uh, probably the, the dollar will not, it's not to the interest of, uh, of the U.S., uh, of the U.S. to to increase that much in the long term, so uh, it's there's a there's a good uh, way to to get some uh, revenue from from investing in overseas countries with uh, growing uh, currencies. And if China appreciates their uh, currency in the future, that will be like a big windfall. But um, that's another issue. So that's an increase in profitability for sure. And uh, of course, costs are different overseas as well. Um, go, going back to your point about the big fee, uh, the, the the fish in the big uh, big fish in a small pond, is that what what the point I want to make is that uh, um, we're talking about middle market here and um, or even small market and uh, just to uh, clarify that for the listeners is that a middle market we by referring to middle market we're referring to to deals or uh, that are between. Uh, Maybe 50 million, anything from uh, 50 million to um, to half a billion. Uh, maybe uh, maybe some uh, say it goes up to one billion. So these are the deals, and the companies doing this. They are. Uh, or referring to middle market companies, we're referring to companies that uh, that um, uh, pretty much have uh, uh, revenues in this range. So this is actually a middle market company. In the U.S., but if you take this company and you put it in another country, uh, that can be a pretty uh, big company, and maybe 
uh, I don't, I wouldn't say about China, but let's say about uh, Europe that I know much better, um, is that over there there are some countries that are pretty small, and uh, and uh, a company that is a half a billion dollar company in uh, times uh, in terms of revenue or 400 million can be pretty big for a for a for a small country there. So which means that uh, there are a lot of uh, there, there there's a different way about how people perceive themselves and what's the importance of this uh, company for the local um, uh, government uh, and all these things. So the, uh, that the, the, the importance of that is that how um, uh, acquirers, you know, people that get in the transaction, how they they, they approach the transaction, there are, there are different ways that uh, you have to uh, uh, behave and uh, and address these um, sensitivities that might exist in uh, in uh, your acquisition target, and also for the acquirers to understand where the the other companies are, are the the buyers coming from. So that's a thing that probably it's uh, it's it's about the, the logistics, the mechanics of the of the M and A, and it's uh, what the I guess the 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 advisor brings into the table because uh, of course uh, a, a middle market company which is considered pretty small for the U.S. but still big overseas. Wouldn't be, wouldn't be able to to know exactly what, how to approach a transaction, in a, in a small European country, or in a small Asian country, and how to, uh, to address uh, um, concerns that people there might have. Uh, you have to have exposure to do that, and that's what the the advisors do all the time. So they have the edge on that. Yeah, and I can even think, I mean, th- thinking of Forrester, for example, I mean, Forrester's market cap is about $850 million. But I, I can't, you know, I I think this is probably the only I- international M&A that they've done this year. don't think that they did one last year. I mean, even quite large firms can go for a long time without making acquisitions. And I think when you get onto smaller firms, you know, an, an international M&A is going to be a much bigger business opportunity for them but also a much bigger risk. And I think very often people might be quite focused on the kind of tangible financial aspects of the M&A, and they might not understand really what, what the critical success factors are when they're trying to do a, a, a cross-border transaction like that. I mean, you've got you know such a lot of experience, and, and obviously, you know, working on it as an M&A advisor, you have to know the finance side, the legal side, and the tax side, and the operational side, and the human side. I mean, all highly specialised. Um, are there any kind of general observations you can make about the obstacles that companies tend to hit on when they're trying to make mid-market M&As either happen or to actually execute on them after after the purchases? Uh, well, um, I, uh, let's say in, starting from the, the, the pre-acquisition stage where it's where I'm, I'm more uh, familiar with because uh, the advisors, uh, the M&A advisors, they, they're the ones that uh, make the transaction and pretty much work out after that and then you get the consultants that do the the the, the integration or the companies do the integration and, and that's very important the integration is very important there are a lot of MA actually there's a lot of literature on that pretty much failing it's it's a pity actually because a lot of money has been spent on that but they pretty much fail on the implementation and then the the the, the doesn't really um produce what it's supposed to produce in the in the long run but uh, that's another issue. I'm going to get to that. First of all, in the pre-acquisition phase, I would say that it's for a middle uh, market transaction, it's, it's important to get uh, knowledgeable 
uh, advisors. The problem is that uh, if the deals are pretty small, let's say $100 million transaction or $200 million transaction is pretty much small for um, for a lot of uh, advisory firms like uh, the investment banks. Uh, so uh, that would actually... You, this kind of deals actually um, in in, a, in the U.S., for example, they are handled by boutiques, by independent advisors. These might these companies might not have the uh, exposure, the the contacts, the network, the 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 the, the, the experience to, to to go overseas. The same happens for some advisor um, overseas that might not. Um, um, have the same kind of uh, abilities. So it's it's. Um, it's difficult to get the right advisor to help you through the transaction, um, and um, also a lot of companies also might not. Um, as if the deals are actually are pretty small as well, they might not, you know, generate the generate uh, the the, the uh, significant um, fees for for the advisor. So there has to be some special um, arrangement. So that's a problem. The problem is that. Uh, you might not get the the right, right um, uh, talent, the right experience to to help you through. But um, then, uh, and I think this is very critical because you have to get the, the facts right. Then in the uh, in the integration uh, phase, then again you um, have to to plan ahead, uh, find the just just getting that very um, high level. Is that there has to be an integration plan for sure, and a communication plan with your employees? How to uh, to uh, what what would be the integration uh, plan? You have to uh, get to the plan quickly so that uh, uh, you decrease uh, all the negative uh, psychology. If if there's something, you know, if you have to go through uh, downsizing in certain sectors, and um, there has to be a, a, a very uh, clear. A plan for uh, to to grow and to uh, integrate, and um, how you communicate uh, to your people so that you are able to capture uh, all the all the benefits from the M and A and and be able to get on the on the on the market and sell quickly and not lose market share and all these things. Pete, that sounds really useful. I mean, it's, it also sounds as if you're really very optimistic about the prospects for for mid market cross border M and A. Uh, generally, um, I think uh, m- uh, my time with you is kind of is, is kind of wrapping up. But what I want to do is is leave people with some information about what they can do to to get in touch with you and and other people in, in the Transatlantic Business Forum. So you're online at transatlanticbusinessforum.com, and right. and and I'm pretty sure that people can also find you on LinkedIn. Now, to mm-hmm. get in touch with you, what would be the best email address for people to use? Uh, well, they can send an email to info at transatlanticbusinessforum.com, one word. Um, it's on uh, my webpage or through LinkedIn. Okay, wonderful. Peter, thank you so much for your time, and we'll look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you, Duncan. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.